following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Grab your Bibles and go to Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 11 this morning. Just a few Sundays ago, we highlighted Christian families on Mother's Day as we routinely address the subject of Christian living on national holidays such as Easter and Christmas and Thanksgiving. I think it's proper to take moments of opportunity to reflect on what a holiday means, especially what it means for those of us who are believers in Christ. Historians trace the American Memorial Day tradition back to the somber days following the Civil War. It was sometimes called Decoration Day as relatives and friends of those who fell in battle would decorate with flowers and flags the graves of their departed loved ones. Waterloo, New York is sometimes called the birthplace of Memorial Day because it began to observe the day on May the 5th, 1866. And each year thereafter, And because of its two leading citizens, General John Murray and General John A. Logan, both veterans of the Union Army, became advocates for a national day of remembrance to honor the dead. Memorial Day was not declared an official American holiday by federal law until 1967. And since 1971, we have observed the last day of the month of May for Memorial Day. Tomorrow, we observe this day. I heard someone say this past week, on Armed Forces Day, we honor those who wear the uniform. On Veterans Day, we honor those who have hung up their uniforms. And on Memorial Day, we honor those who never had a chance to take off their uniforms. Many people will see tomorrow as just another day off, part of a long three-day weekend. But for those who understand the significance of honoring the fallen in battle, in military action, it means much more than a day off. It's a day to honor those who spilled their blood to make America what she is today, free, strong, and a nation worth fighting for. Because men and women have died for this country, we have the right to freely preach God's word. We have the right to live and dwell in the safety of our own homes. We have the right to pursue peace, prosperity, and happiness. Thank God for those who died to keep us free. As we prepare to observe this remembrance of those who died for liberty, I think it's fitting to remember the one who died to set us free from sin. Jesus Christ, God's one and only Son, fought the armies of hell that we might have liberty from the bondage of sin in His holy name. And many followers of God have fought the good fight until the day they went to be with Jesus in heaven, and we can learn much from their lives and legacy. So let's read Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to read verses 7 through 12. The Bible says, by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. 
By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Would you join me as we pray? Father, as we have read your word, we pray that the meaning of the words will soak in to our, our hearts and our minds. Lord, we thank you for giving us the words of truth that we can rely upon and use to help us live victoriously each day for you. Lord, we thank you for this word on which we stand and on which many who came before us stood upon and even gave their lives for And so, Father, we pray that as we pause and reflect on some of these who are in this chapter of a hall of fame of faith, that, Lord, you will speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit and and help us to see how we can have a stronger faith and how we can stand for what's right and what's true. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Here's your first truth to write down. It is faith alone that saves But faith that saves is never alone. We find this in verse 7. By faith Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now, a common comeback to this message of justification by faith is that it appears to open the door to live sinful lives. If salvation is a gift, to quote Paul, why not continue in sin in order that grace may abound? Luther's answer to this question was, and he said this in various forms throughout his life and writings, we are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Good works will flow from a person's life as evidence of the faith they have in Jesus Christ. Far be it from us to teach permission to sin. Justification by faith is the firm basis for why we live an obedient life. We don't obey the commandments because we want to earn favor with God. That's not possible. We obey the commandments because we want to honor God with what he's done in our heart and our lives through saving faith. Most parents have had battles with their children regarding obedience. And most children test the authority of their parents in order to see if disobedience has consequences. And obedience usually has one of two possible requirements. It requires us not to do something or it requires us to do something. I don't know which one is harder. Having not to do something, trying to refrain from doing what's wrong, or having to obey and do the commands that God has given us to do that are sometimes so difficult and so hard. In the story of Noah, I see a difficult command to do something. We could call it faith and obedience that goes beyond or even contradicts or defies all common sense. Yet we know 
from James 2 that true faith always has actions to support its claims. No one can claim to be a person of faith if their good works does not support their claim to have faith. And no one can claim good works as a means to earning salvation with God. The truth is, one supports the other. Good works are supported and produced by faith. And that becomes the evidence of true faith. We could say it is faith alone that saves, but faith that saves is never alone. It's followed by good works. Three things in Hebrews eleven seven give proof that Noah's faith was real. He responded to God's word. He reproved the world. And he received God's righteousness. Noah's faith was incredible. In faith, he received a divine revelation to build an ark. He obeyed that revelation even beyond reason. Imagine in the church parking lot today, you began constructing an ark, a big ship, that obviously could not be transported to water. This ship was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. It's one and a half times the size of a football field and more than four stories high. The total deck was 96,000 square feet. The total volume of the ark was 1.3 million cubic feet. Naval engineers of today claim it is the most stable ship ever constructed, not for maneuverability, but for stability. There's so many voices to be concerned about, right? What will people say when you start building this big ship in the parking lot? Notice that only one voice influenced Noah. It was the voice of God. The important questions are what did God say and what am I going to do about what God said? The important question for each of us is what are you going to do in your life to respond to what God is calling you to do? God has spoken, and that was enough for Noah. Isn't it interesting that the Scriptures do not tell us how God spoke to Noah? Or how God gave the blueprints for this magnificent ship? So for some reason, God in His wisdom kept that information from us. Although we see in other Scriptures that God spoke out, and we know how. He spoke from a burning bush to Moses. He spoke out of a bright light to Saul on the road to Damascus. God speaks to us in so many different ways. The question is, do we have ears to hear and do we have a heart to obey? Here's Noah, a man with a a small portion of divine truth compared to what we have today in our entire Bibles. A man without boat building experience. A man almost 500 years old. A man who certainly has more important things to do for the next hundred years than building an ark. A man with a preschool son who could offer no help to his father except to ask questions like kids ask, Daddy, Daddy, what are you doing? Daddy, Daddy, why? 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 What is this ship? Can I help? Daddy, why are the people laughing at us and ridiculing us? Yeah, we do not read that Noah argued with God, made excuses with God, ignored God, walked away from God, or procrastinated what God was calling him to do. Imagine if I was asked by God to work for him in such a way. 
All I'd have to do is show him my Google calendar and how busy I am. And I would be like, God, surely you don't know all the schedule that I have to keep, all the appointments, all the demands, all the responsibilities. Obviously, you have the wrong person. And if that wouldn't convince God, I'm sure I could come up with a thousand other excuses of why I didn't need to follow what God was calling me to do. What will Melody say if I start building this boat out in the front parking lot? What will my two daughters say if I spend time away from them building this ship? What will the people of my church say when they come driving in on a Sunday morning and they don't have a place to park because there's this big boat out front that I'm constructing and they think I'm crazy because we're not near water? God's answer, and I think this is a pretty good answer. In fact, I would think it's the perfect answer. What will they say when the flood comes and you've not built the ark? Noah spent over 100 years fulfilling one command that God gave him to do. And he's included in this 11th chapter of Hebrews, this hall of faith as a model, an example, a picture of what real genuine faith looks like. And we can learn a lot from what he does. There are so many choices we make each day and most are insignificant in nature. Wouldn't you agree? They're not going to make a huge, huge difference in our lives or somebody else's. For instance, would you like a baked potato or a sweet potato with your meal? Would you like regular hot coffee or would you like that iced? Would you like your steak cooked medium rare or, or well done? All of those decisions are really not going to matter beyond the moment. But there are other choices that we have to make each and every day that may decide our destiny or our fate forever. Choices such as, will you respond to God's word in obedient faith or will you ignore the calling he's put on your life? Will you say yes or no to God's will for your life? Will you do the work of God as he's called you to do, such as build a big ship, or will you just ignore it and walk away, making excuses? Will you go into the safety of the ark and let the door shut behind you, or will you let the door shut while you're on the outside looking in? Will you join Noah in being an heir to righteousness? Will you receive the righteousness God gives and only God gives? That's really the most important life-changing decision any of us could ever make. Receive the gift of God's salvation that he offers through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son Jesus. Will you profess Jesus as your Lord and Savior today if you have not already done that? And if you have, if you're already a believer, will you commit, will you promise to serve the Lord whatever he calls you to do for the rest of your life. One of the greatest practical acts of faith in all of history, I imagine, was Noah cutting that first gopher tree wood to make the ark. And that first piece of wood was only the beginning. A 100-year project. Can you imagine that? I mean, you can't expect me to devote that much of my time to something, can you? I didn't know it was going to be so hard. You don't expect God to give me, to, for God, for me to give 10% of my income to the ministry of the local church. How will I pay off my bills? 
How will I send my children to college? How will I plan for retirement and save up? 100 years. How did Noah handle the monotony, the routine? How do you overcome fatigue? Boy, what a great picture of perseverance. Wouldn't you agree? Staying at it. Endurance. Do you have any unfinished projects? Something you got tired of just doing, you just walked away? What about a 100-year project? How did Noah find grace to persevere? I think it only comes from the Lord. In fact, I encourage every parent to highlight this verse in your Bible And by faith, say something like this. With the hammer of prayer in one hand and the nails of Bible truths in the other, God, I believe that you will use my feeble efforts to help save my family. Verse 7. Now let's continue in verse 8 where we learn a step of faith is the precondition God desires from a person to be used by him. Look at verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abraham knew God was calling him to go. He didn't know exactly where God was calling him to go. So he just started moving. Most of the time... Our position would be something like this. Father, I know you're calling me to leave Ur, and I'll be happy to go. Just give me a map of Mesopotamia. But you see, the Lord doesn't always work that way. He doesn't always provide Google Maps. He simply says, start moving one step at a time, and when you sow faith in that step, I'll reveal the second step. And then I'll reveal the third, and so forth. Maybe God has asked you to do something and you know what it is. It might be he's laid it on your heart to come to Wednesday night Bible study. It might be he's laid it on your heart to love a difficult person in your life. It might be God is telling you to do something I can't even imagine. I can't even fathom. Something so out of the ordinary like, like building a ship on dry land. And he wants you to act on what he's already revealed so he can show you the rest of the steps of faith that you need to take. For a step of faith is the precondition a person has that God requires to be used by him. He's looking for those who will come to the Jordan and get their feet wet. Much like Joshua 3. Look on the screen. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water... Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is Zarethan, and those flowing down through the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. What a great story. What a great account of faith. You see, I think most of the time what we do is we say, here I am, Lord. I'm on the edge just like you asked me to. But Lord, I know the ark is important cargo. You don't want to see it fall into the river and just float away downstream, do you? I mean, that's not reasonable. That's not practical. So in order to protect your good name, whenever I get to the water, I'm not going to step in. I want you to stop the water to begin with. And once the waters cease, then I'll cross over with the ark. That's not what the story says. 
Story says they had to put their toe, they had to put their feet into the water first. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Why does God take us to the edge of the Jordan, tell us to put our foot in, and then risk looking like a fool? Here's why. Because faith is the language of eternity. You see, God's not playing games with us. He's not asking us to put our foot in so people can make fun of us. No, the Lord wants us to to start on this journey that will last for eternity. Because our faith will carry over even into heaven. Jot this down. You'll never be a man or woman of faith if you're looking for fulfillment on earth. We find this in verses 9 and 10. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Why did Abraham embark on such a journey? Because he was looking for a city that had foundations in heaven whose builder and maker is God, and he knew what he was looking for here on earth would never fulfill his longing. Why is this so important? Because when I moved from Wake Forest, North Carolina, to Spartanburg County, South Carolina, for example, if I'd been looking for a city on earth to satisfy me, I would have been paralyzed by fear. I would have said, well, what if I get there and I discover Spartanburg is not what I expected? But since the longing of my heart is for a city that has foundations in heaven, I knew ahead of time, nothing in this earth will totally satisfy. What if I go there and it doesn't work out? Well, don't worry, it's not going to work out. (laughs) What if I marry him and he doesn't fully satisfy me? That's okay, he won't fully satisfy you. What if I take the job and it wasn't what I hoped it would be? Don't worry, it's surely going to disappoint because all jobs have their problems. You will never marry a man or woman that will fully satisfy you. You will never find a job that provides complete contentment in your life. And you will never live in a place where everything is always smooth. Had Abraham looked for a city on earth for his fulfillment, he would have remained stuck in Ur forever. But at some point, God in his grace allowed Abraham to understand that everything on earth is preparation for for heaven. If you don't see Abraham as a model of faith, you'll be perpetually paralyzed by fear. What if I do this and it doesn't work out? What if I do this and things go south? People wonder sometimes why why individuals are so spiritual and, and they seem to be blessed, why others are not used by God. It's not that God is playing favorites. It's just that those who choose to keep on going recognize that in the midst of hardships, you can't give up. You can't give in. You can't quit. You've got to keep moving on for the Lord. Because all of us will face hardship. Golf fans rightly loved Phil Mickelson's honest tweet about perseverance from two weeks before his PGA Championship win last Sunday. Influenced by his Christian faith, he was able to say this, and I quote, I've failed many times in my life and career, and because of this, I've learned a lot. 
Instead of feeling defeated countless times, I've used it as fuel to drive me to work harder. So today, join me in accepting our failures. Let's use them to motivate us to work even harder. That's the picture of true faith. You don't quit. You don't give up. You don't walk away. Against all evidence which says there's no logical foundation for hope, you believe against hope. Verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. When the Lord and the two angels came to Abraham's tent and told him his wife would conceive, what did the wife of the father of faith do? Remember, she laughed. Now, this encourages me a lot because Sarah's faith was not real strong. Yet Jesus taught that if we just have the faith of a mustard seed, the size of a grain of mustard, mountains can move into the sea. You see, Sarah's story encourages me because sometimes I sense a promise from the Lord being written on my heart, a promise coming from him that I hear, and it's so hard not to just kind of laugh in disbelief and say, that'll never happen. It's not possible. Yet the Lord honored her seed of faith, and a child whose name means laughter was born to her. Biblical faith is based on God's word. Faith in and of itself has no power. It becomes powerful only in the person that it's focused on and in the promise of the Word of God. When Abraham and Sarah practiced faith in God, they came up with a solution which was God has the answer. Abraham was 75 years old and Sarah was 65 years old at the time of the promise. They had no children, but the scriptures tell us Sarah was barren. Almost 25 years later, the Lord gives Abraham and Sarah more information regarding his promise. He tells them the how and the when. How? You will have a son by your wife Sarah. When? By the end of next year. Imagine Abraham's thoughts. So now you tell me if, if you had told me this plan 25 years ago, Sarah and I could have at least tried harder. But it's all in God's timing. The scriptures tell us in Romans 4, 18, when speaking of Abraham, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Against all of hope, Abraham had hope. Most of life's trials are not hopeless. What do I mean? Most people who lose a job will eventually find a job again. In most cases, the statistical odds are in your favor. You're going to make it safely home from church today. Your job is going to be waiting on you tomorrow morning when you go to work, or maybe Tuesday morning after the holiday. But what do you do when the situation you face is against all hope? What do you hope in when your circumstance is truly hopeless? Some of us know what that feels like. 
What answers are we given in Abraham's story? Against all the circumstantial evidence, against all the physical evidence, and against all that has rational foundation in hope, Abraham hoped and believed. What did he believe that gave him hope? He believed the promise of God. This was the foundation of his faith. He hoped that God would keep his word. He believed that God was a man of his word. And even Sarah came to believe that and persevere as well. In what situation in your life, against all evidence, there seems no rational line of hope do you need to believe against hope? At the 100-year anniversary of the arrival of missionaries to the Congo, a large celebration was planned. In commemoration of the lasting impact of the work of the original missionaries, speakers were invited to address the gathering. Special music, a festive meal, and other activities were planned as a memorial to this important occasion. As the story goes, an aged native came forward and introduced himself to the crowd as the last person alive who was privy to a terrible secret. The old man confessed that 100 years earlier, when the missionaries first came, the natives didn't know whether to believe the message they carried. So in order to to test their sincerity, they devised a plan. Slowly, secretly, systematically, they began to poison the missionaries. Then they watched intently as mothers said goodbye to their children. As husbands said goodbye to their wives. As friends and colleagues said goodbye to each other. The old man explained that it was only as they saw how these missionaries died that the truth of their message was confirmed. And as a result, many of the people believed and embraced the gospel message of a risen Lord Jesus Christ. In what manner must these men and women have died to have so convincingly confirmed the message they brought to the Congo? No doubt they died just as they had lived. They clung tenaciously to eternal promises. They died as those who were blessed despite losing even earthly reason for happiness. They died as those who had traded in their earthly dreams for heaven-bound certainties. There's great power to be found in living a life this way. Imagine what you could accomplish If giving up was no longer a part of your vocabulary. What hardships your marriage could endure if divorce was not an option. What personal growth you could experience if you refused to quit when life got hard. It's that kind of determination that is reminiscent of Jesus. And if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, then you can live a determined life to glorify God by faith. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.